1: a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. A side drink. you drink from the side of your mouth. Yeah, see? It works perfectly. Cheers. Okay. Cheers. Happy days in African bush? I know. It could be a lot worse. Bring that, yeah, bring that a little closer to you. Not right next to you because then you'll hear your breathing. You're not breathing
2: anymore?
1: <laughs> now bring te- it a little closer to your mouth. I'm
2: too scared to breathe now.
1: Bring it a little closer to your mouth.
2: You can't really drink with this thing on, on the side of your mouth. When you talk about Africa, it's quite important to have a, <coughs> a cold beverage in hand. So do you think uh, South African beers are better than American beers? I'm probably the last person to ask. Because I actually prefer light American beers. You do? Yeah. The cheaper, the better. Okay. Light American beer. I'd say, is like when I go to the States, I have to have a Diet Dr. Pepper, a pack of Cheetos, and a Coors Light. Oh, and you chose like the worst light beer of them all. It's glorious. It's terrible. Glorious.
1: Well, we are sitting in about 100 kilometers from the Zim border.
2: Closer. Closer? As a crow flies, 35 kilometers. Wow. Plus minus. And you hunt this property? Yeah. And you are? Craig Martins. I'm a father, a husband. No, I'm joking. <coughs> I watched a lot of Blood Origins episodes, so I thought I'd throw that in. <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah. Craig Martins. I'm a professional hunter in South Africa uh, and have been since... 1999. And uh, father before you was a professional hunter? Yeah, Barcy Martins. Uh, he started in southwest Africa, uh, well, Namibia, formerly southwest Africa. And he guided his first client, a man by the name of Elgin Gates, who's, I wouldn't say very famous in the hunting circles, but back in those days he was one of the pioneers of, I'd say, almost trophy collecting Going out and collecting different, no. Uh, let me rephrase that. I think just collecting different species of animals all over the world. Um, he wasn't so much interested in size or anything. He just wanted to collect different species of animals, and so he came out. Started with my dad in 1959, and I've actually still got. He had to take out a small game license, and I've got the original piece of paper f- of that Lossy license. Did. Yes of that license from, I think it was 1 or 5 May, 1959. Do you think that Barsi is the original? Like, would he be classified as the first PH? Mm, uh, in Southern Africa, he was definitely one of the pioneers. Like, in terms of physical, like, licensed professional hunter
1: through well, he the was, states.
2: He was the first licensed professional hunter or operator in Southwest Africa. His license is number one. He actually, from my understanding (coughs) and recollection of talking to him about it, he helped them set up the system in Southwest Africa. Was Southwest
1: Africa uh, in front of South Africa?
2: Yes. It was in front of South Africa. I think South Africa picked up more into the early 70s when it comes to what they were doing, what he was doing in the late 50s. And I think in between that period... I stand correct, but you could have even had Botswana where Kenya closed and the guys came down from East Africa and came down into Botswana and started setting up a system, you know, to be able to, one, hunt the animals legally in the country with quotas and have a system where the animals would be basically quotas set, legally hunted, paperwork, documentation to help those outfitters get the animals exported to different countries. Right, So that whole system didn't even exist. I mean, they had, you know, no no idea what to do. Actually, in that story with my father and his first client, my grandfather owned a gun shop in Vintook. And my father, obviously, when he left South Africa, finished school and he went up to Namibia to help my grandfather in the gun shop. A lot of the farmers... As far and wide as Botswana and Hanzi would come into the gun shop and ask my grandfather to fix the guns. And my dad would then say to him, No problem, he'll he'll bring them out to the farm and come drop them off free of charge. Right. And obviously the farmer would say, Well, you know, if you feel like hunting anything while you're here, sure, sure. Um, Go ahead. And so he became kind of known as the guy to take you hunting or locals yeah yeah and guys in government came in and they said man they've received this letter from this man in california and he wants to come and shoot our five species that we have here in in namibia what are we going to do and that's where it started but then wow. they had to figure out how to do it wow and he picked him up in a little datsun 1400 bucky which maybe you can Single
1: explain cab time <laughs> i don't think there is it's almost it's like the old school Ford Rangers. But like Smaller. lower class yeah. than that.
2: And he picked he picked this man and his father up in that, the airport. And the three of them
1: But it's it's a single cat. I don't right? know, but they're
2: all piled into the front. And off they went. Into wherever. Wherever.
1: And what were they sh- what were they hunting? Hemsburg?
2: Predominantly Chemsbuck, Kudu, Red Heart to Beast, Hartman Zebra and Springback. Okay. Those were the five five species. And I think my father, I know that he shot, he guided him on his first hemspuck. And my dad, you know, walked up, took out his knife, and as meat hunters, they would get the knife and they would cut the neck. Mm -hmm. And my dad walked up and took this beautiful 40 plus inch hemspuck bull and cut its neck. And Algin was, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I need to, Skin this and take it home as a trophy. So he had to show my father how to skin it wow. as a trophy. Wow! I had no idea.
1: That's crazy. Well, today people are still chasing trophies.
2: They are. They are, and I think if you look back then, you had five five species to hunt in thirty days, and now South Africa you have twenty five species that we're able to hunt. And some some of those we can some of those are being hunted and guided in ten days, mm-hmm. all twenty you know, five. Yeah, well, no, not all twenty five, but I'm saying twenty five different, sure, sure, different animals. You know, some of the species you've got three or four, like your springbuck slams and stuff like that. But with game farming and the success of the game farming model in southern Africa, even as as far as Zambia now, <clears throat> you know, you're able to to acquire more more animals so you on a have, safari.
1: Do, would you say based on you starting in 1999 and we're sitting in 2021, do you have more options and more properties with more wildlife today than you had when you first started?
2: Definitely. Definitely. I was talking the other night with a good friend of mine, Howard Not, and you know, we were saying how difficult it is to when we even when he started And that was in the 80s, I believe. And, you know, even up until when I started, how hard it was to find an animal like a Cape buffalo to hunt in South Africa. I mean, there was a small amount of them up on the eastern side and then, let's say, further south, southeast, and northern Natal, that side, from my recollection, I mean, you couldn't just find a Cape buffalo to, to hunt. It was difficult to find one, and you almost had to book a year in advance or two years in advance, because it was a very limited quota. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now I would, I don't want to say they're around every corner, but in one phone call, you know, you, I can arrange to a property that has Buffalo. I mean, the property we are sitting on, right. we both know, I mean, there's over 120 Buffalo here, free roaming. And yeah, it's, it's just amazing how in these last 23, 24 years, if my math is correct, yeah yeah i think so. yeah twenty three three four um how that's changed and it goes as far as exotics like your sable and your own antelope they're also very very difficult to find back then and right. and now you know they but not they're exotics
1: more, from non natives just exotics as in
2: that existed rare, here. Species. rare species they i mean they always existed in south africa um but now they're just more accessible they're more there is obviously with through the game farming of these species, there's a lot more, a lot more of them around. And other species being been introduced from your lechway, um, or like your lechwe, which you could only go to certain countries for. You know, they've been introduced into South Africa, doing very well, um, regulated, and you're now able to also, you know, guide on species such as those. Which Is the red
1: lechway included in the 25? No. 25 South African
2: species. South African species, yeah.
1: So it doesn't include the fallow, the ardad, the lechware, whatever else. Okay.
2: And a lot of people, I mean, if you physically sit down, you also got to look at, and I'm not one for numbers, and I'm not one to dwell too much on all these things. You know, your springbuck slam, is is your kalahari different to your cape? You know, and they are, it's still a springbuck. You know, when it comes to your your copper, your black springbuck, your white springbuck, your cape springbuck, you know your Kalahari springbuck. I mean, the other four are generally the same size, but your Kalahari are just in body mass yeah. and horn length yeah. have always been bigger. Yeah. So is that two or one? You yeah. know what I mean? But there's five there. Same so with the impalas. <coughs> impalas, to me, there's always just one. Yeah. I mean, it's one impala that goes from here all the way to East Africa, and then now you get into East African impala, which size-wise I mean it's just remarkably bigger. Mm-hmm. Um but it's still an impala.
1: What about the black impala or the black-faced impala?
2: Um Robbie that's just that's still to me an impala. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. Mm. You know they're not necessarily m- much bigger in in body. The black impala, you know, body size and your black-faced impala body sized. But if you look at the horn length they also fall in the same category as your southern impala. Um but where your East African pilot, just in horn length, is much bigger. Yeah. So would that be two impalas than in Africa, or? Yeah. Because remember, that. even with your color variance on, let's say, species like the wildebeest, it's still a blue wildebeest. Right. It's still documented as a blue as wildebeest. a as a blue wildebeest. But color variance, I mean, that's that's a whole nother discussion, and that's what I'm saying. If you <coughs> if you add them up. All these species in in southern Africa, or South Africa, you normally come to twenty five.
1: So we're sitting on a farm of what how I would say twenty five thousand hectares.
2: I think he's let's say roughly twenty thousand hectares. So what's it times two point four?
1: Two point two, I think. So fifty thousand acres.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. You said these buffalo are free roaming.
2: So, free roaming. They occur on the. But there's 50, a high fence
1: around 50,000 acres.
2: Correct, correct.
1: In your opinion, those buffalo are still free roaming.
2: Born and bred, and raised on the property, and able to move in in and out. Yeah, but with so that
1: definition, it could be a thousand acres. Hundred percent.
2: Hundred percent.
1: Still free roaming.
2: Still, uh, if you put a buffalo down, and It's a term. It's not a a scientific term. Mm -hmm. A scientific term for free roaming would be something of the equivalent of, you know, elk hunting in some of your national parks in America. Mm -hmm. Um, And if we delve into the whole term of free roaming, I should probably just use, you know, a different term, maybe fair chase. Okay. um, Instead of free roaming. Yeah. You know, fair chase in the sense... In terms fifty thousand acres, right? And that buffalo knows that fifty thousand acres a lot better than you and me. And we have all the tools in our advantage. We have a vehicle we can drive around, and we've got excellent trackers that we can follow them, and we can get all the things right. Doesn't mean you're going to get a buffalo here. It's you're amazing work for
1: driving it. around here, and I think this is another misconception of hunting: is you've got a road system in this property. Mm-hmm. And I think the statistic out of Kruger National Park once was Kruger National Park is 2.2 million hectares and the road system covers 1% of the land. And someone figured it out. Like, okay, you can see 500 foot on each side of the road. Okay, multiply that by the amount of road coverage that there is on a property. That's how much you can possibly see. Yeah. Okay. So you look at a place like Howard's Driving through the thickets that he has. And he has a lot of thickets. You don't get to you don't get to see much of the property from the vehicle.
2: No. From the vehicle you don't.
1: Yeah, but even on foot. On if foot you it's probably even less.
2: Oh, much less. Only time you see the expanse is if you go up into the hills. So you'll get to see the property from the hill. But once you're down on foot or even in the vehicle... You don't actually see that much anymore. It's so, so I the agree concept
1: with you. of fair chase. You know that the the misperception of fair chase is that people come to Africa, like somebody came onto this property and said, "I'm going to come hunt here. I'm going to come hunt a zebra, a kudu. That's what they're known for. Yeah. It was kudu here. It's not simply drive around. Oh, pick out your kudu." stop the vehicle, let's walk back and we'll shoot that kudu.
2: No, I wish it was at times, but no it's not. It's difficult. It's difficult to find the kudu number one because you've been here now a few days and we can drive a road and turn around and drive back in 20 minutes and the elephants crossed our tracks. Mm -hmm. Because it's such an expanse and bush and cover (coughs) for these animals. You know, nine out of ten times, there's a certain amount of luck involved. Unless you cut a track and you ju- and you see it's a big cootie track, for instance, and you just follow it. Then you're able to follow it. And the soil is correct, and you're able to keep on the track. And you've got a very good tracker who can do it. And you stay on it, you've probably got a good chance of finding it then. If the wind is in your favor and everything else, and you don't bump another animal on the way, which you probably will, you might come up to that cootie. So, we'll you bump really an need. Elephant, especially on this property, we'll you might bump, bump a it. black rider if you go through some th- thick bush. Yeah. That won't be much fun. Yeah. And so, there's so many, so many factors that are actually working against you while you're on foot, especially. And while you're driving around, it's a measure of luck almost. Mm-hmm. Lack of a better way, a measure of luck that you actually. Oh, there was. We just went past a nice kudu or. Oh, there's a very nice kudu in the distance mm-hmm. or you sit on the side of the hills the copies and you glass and you see a kudu in the in the brush and you get closer and you walk in and then you track that kudu and hopefully not bust another animal not have the wind going against you not have the animal see you etc etc so i guess that ties into to me that's fair chase I why mean,
1: do you think there's a perception that south african hunting is not fair chase
2: I think South Africa, perhaps we are we guilty of of that perception being out there, where you know people have come out and said they've hunted on small areas, and you know that, and you got to understand that the law, the law in the country will state what size an animal is allowed to be hunted on, and the law, and the law can get challenged and. It might not be t- ethical, but there's a line between ethical and legal. Mm-hmm. And legally, the animal can be hunted, be put on a certain size area, and be hunted on a certain size area legally. Does that make an experience that I want to to do, or you, or any client? You know, every person's different. It's not something I want to do. But legally, it's legal. You know, if it's a 1,000 hectares, and it is high-fenced, and it has a Certificate of Adequate Enclosure, which is issued by the Nature Conservation Authority of that province. And in that certificate, it stipulates five, six, seven, eight, nine different species. You're going to take so much off a year, and you go there, and there's a hundred kudu, and you can shoot a hundred kudu, and on a thousand hectares, it's a legal hunt. Right. That's legal. That is the law. Um, It's just not something... I want to do. But I think that's where this whole perception, perhaps, of non fair chase hunting in South Africa has stemmed from. You know, it starts with something small like that, and then people come in, hunt, go back, say, well, it wasn't a huge expanse.
1: Right, we had to go through multiple we gates. We had to go
2: through multiple gates. It felt like we were in different pastures. You know, I've heard that f- that term a lot. It felt yeah. like we were hunting in a lot of different pastures. Et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I'm I'm not of that profe- type of professional hunter or outfitter that wants to, to hunt on small pasture properties. Mm-hmm. Um But with that being said, you know, the further south you go, like they say towards the Cape Town area, there aren't big game farms down there. You know, just outside of Cape Town, there's a beautiful game farm, 1,400 hectares. But land is extremely expensive. Right. And... It's a great little game farm and you don't sh- doesn't shoot a lot of animals there, but it's only fourteen hundred hectares. And you get off and you walk everything on foot, but you are always gonna hit a fence at some point. Mm-hmm. But it's just the economics of the whole situation. The man would love to have fourteen thousand hectares, but no one has fourteen thousand hectares available for hunting an hour outside of Cape Town. Yeah. So and I've I've hunted there. So, you know, it's not a case of um Saying that everyone with a thousand hectares,
1: maybe is it like
2: exactly that's it's completely tied to the experience.
1: Would you, if you could drive around that fourteen hundred hectares and hunt it, would you still hunt it?
2: You can drive around. There's enough roads to drive around it, but I just don't, because Mm. that's not the experience that I want to give. Yeah. So, I mean, this topic, we can definitely spend. I've always said I don't think I could podcast for an hour, but this topic, you could you could discuss for an hour, and you can go backwards and forwards. And what you just said now, I think, it really sums it up. It's the experience. How, what experience are you going to give your hunter, your client, that he goes back and has a favorable answer to a question about South Africa, or do you not care? Okay. And well the guy me, just comes let out. Let me
1: dissect, that and then I'll play devil's advocate for a second. Hunter A comes to South Africa, has a favorable experience. And it was a small enclosed area and he whacked and stacked. Five animals, six animals, five days. Had the time of his life. Goes back to America. Says, I've had the time of my life. But when people hear the, t- the, t- the experience he had that was the time of his life, they're like, oh, that's not hunting.
2: So that's... So is that, saying, now,
1: is that favorable experience good for hunting in South Africa?
2: In my opinion, no. It's not the experience I would have wanted to give my clients. Is it a positive boost for South Africa that he's saying he had a great hunt in South Africa, he loved it, accommodations were great, his professional hunter was engaging, he really enjoyed the hunt, et cetera, et cetera. That's a positive that's a positive for South Africa. If someone hears that and says, well, you weren't really hunting, that's a small pasture, that's a this or a that, that's, I mean, yeah. That's a preference. That's a preference thing.
1: And, you know, it's, um, I, I would say, I typ- typically would use the term, it's an ethics thing, but somebody has corrected me in the past that I use ethics incorrectly. Yeah, so it's I a preference so. thing. It's a thing like, are you comfortable with that? If you are, then...
2: But kn- my... I would take it a step back. As an outfitter, I feel it's my responsibility to tell the client exactly what situation he's going into. So, person A, you sitting with me at a show in the States, or we discussing on email, or now we you know we pick up the phone quite readily. You've got apps like WhatsApp. You can just call someone. Right. You can have an actual conversation with someone. And I'll say, this is exactly where we're going. Wait, let me step back again. What would you like to do? What species would you like to hunt in South Africa while you're here? Where are you going? And he says, I'd like to be A, B, C, D. These are. This is what I'd like to do, where I'd like to be this different province. And if you then say, perfect, here are all the facts. Here are the facts. This is exactly where we're going. This is the size of it. And if you open and honest from the beginning... And say to him, this is the exact experience you're going to get. And he would then go back as a happy person. But someone else says, well, that's you know that wasn't a big farm or that wasn't, it was hunted in pastures or whatever the case may be. Then that's just someone else's preference. But you've never lied. You've never made something out to be what it's not. Mm. So, like I said, we don't want to use a throw on ethics just the whole time. But that is your ethical, to me as an outfitter, that is my what I should be doing, Mm. is informing the person exactly where they're going. And I think a lot of times, that might not happen, and the world's kind of pulled over the eyes, and they come out expecting A, and and getting B, and they get B. And unfortunately, any any profession in the world, and and it's frustrating that. You know, hunters or or professional hunters or outfitters, you know, we all get, you know, what's the saying? Sometimes with the same brush or, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Loved in the same category. And, you know, the one is just like the other. You know, there's, unfortunately, there's, there's people in any professional profession. So, a professional hunter, any professional in a profession out there, you always got some that don't abide by the rules. Don't, you know, sure. don't stick to the norms and standards. Cool. Um, don't, and I don't. I could say I would feel strong enough to say, please, you cannot tell me that you've never had the wolf pulled over your eyes. Mm-hmm. If you're going to, I mean, I hate to throw out the names so like a lawyer or a dentist or a doctor or whatever, but I'm sure everyone's had an experience right. there too. And when they come back, what do they do? Well, don't you? I don't think you should use that person again. I don't think you should go to that doctor. Mm-hmm. And Then you can make your own decision up. Mm-hmm. But we didn't say, or no one said, in that conversation, all doctors, all doctors, are right. unethical. Right. I've never heard that being said. All plumbers, all electricians, the whole industry is unethical. And you, n- why go to a plumber in Arizona? Because all plumbers now in arizona are unethical yeah, right and that's that's what it really comes down to that's the real nuts and bolts of it and i think when i have discussions about you know what we have now going around not in circles, in, in circle but what we've been discussing now that's kind of my comeback okay why tarnish all of us
1: so for those listening who have never hunted in south africa safe to come here good to come here a
2: hundred percent my opinion without COVID and what we're going through now south africa is one of the finest hunting destinations in africa for the ease of access to getting into the country the amounts of species we can hunt the enjoyment of the safari i mean you know you can go from tropical Bush on the coastal, pl- you know, coastal areas of the Eastern Cape, to where we are in Mopani bushveld, in one country. Mm-hmm. Country, not even. I actually think Texas is bigger than South Africa. Maybe I'm wrong. Mm. But let's say they, let's say they, no, yeah. on par. Yeah. The amount of diversity, diversity of yeah, biodiversity yeah. in this country. The karoo Mountains. I mean, on fields. the way here, we went through a tropical town where they're growing avocados and they have one of the highest rainfalls in the area and 30 minutes later we're in mapani scrub bushveld. right and just the diversity so yes south africa in my opinion can give any hunter experienced non-experienced first-timers can give them a true hunting experience safe open you know for business open for business and we we're here to ensure your safety we're here as outfitters to ensure your enjoyment while you're on safari i mean that is it's your safari and i always tell people leave the details to me this is your holiday i know what you want to do i'm going to make sure that i can you know put you in in front of the animals that you would like to to take like to to hunt and i'll make sure that the camp is fine and the food is hot and you have a hot bed, you know. I mean, a hot shower and a comfortable bed. Definitely hot beds here. Yeah, <laughs> sweating our asses well, off. At for nights. some people, some people you'd think they'll be used to the heat a bit by now, but <laughs> at least it's not humid. But no, I mean, South Africa. You here on your holiday enjoy it, and we're open for business now. I mean, COVID is, has had a profound effect, profound so effect on, on, the industry, the whole tourism industry. In South Africa, yeah, not just hunting. Not just hunting. I mean, I have a sister who's in the, you know, hospitality industry, hotel industry, and I mean, it's 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 really, really had a huge effect on, on our economy, on us, on families, on friends. I mean, mo- a huge effect. So, I think it's good we get a message out there to people. Say, you know, we open. It's safe. Yeah and it's safe for many factors
1: yeah and i think delta and united are going to start flying direct down here in june starting in june i got here via doha Um, the flight in is obviously a very very long flight unfortunately because you have to spend a good layover in whether it's doha or amsterdam i don't know if they're flying through frankfurt at this stage but there's always Mm. a layover coming down because you have to get on that late night flight to come you know overnight down to south africa
2: lufthansa landed just before you yeah from Frankfurt.
1: yeah so they're all they're all flying ethiopian airlines is open it's you know the flight is an extra right now an extra 14 hours because you have to go via the middle east or europe but you can get here and you know as i said to you it was you know, I had a preconceived notion, even though I'm South African, I had a preconceived notion of you know, what is this what is the COVID safety gonna look like here in you know South Africa. And there's a public mask mandate. So every time you're in public you have to have your masks on. And everybody Correct. has masks on. Not Correct. just like you know everyone, like the people getting in the taxis, the people standing on the side of the roads, so everyone's got masks on, which Correct. is crazy. That was a that blew my mind. Every time you go into like you had to go back into the the airport because we forgot something. Your hands are sprayed with sanitizer. Like you don't have to worry about it. These there's guys standing at every single entry and exit of shopping markets. Sorry, when you enter the mall, your hands get sprayed. Yep. Any shop you enter into, if you went into the liquor store, your hands are going to get sprayed. You go Just into so the you supermarket, your hands are going to get sprayed. Your temperature is taken. These guys, it's actually more rigorous than America. You don't have mm. any of that stuff in America. So if anybody's worried, these guys are jacked up and ready.
2: And I think you almost need to to look at that you're kind of in a, a bubble right. when you're on a game farm. You know, everyone on the game farm, even through COVID lockdown last year, like no one went out. You know, mm-hmm. this is probably one of the safest places to be. Is on a game farm in the middle of the bush, away from towns, away from cities. You have no interaction with anyone out here. We arrive here, and you're here for seven days, ten days, however long it's going to be, and then you go back and back into Joburg. Back into Joburg, and you go through that whole. You get your COVID test, which is now mandatory to get home. So super easy to get here, right? Super easy to get, and you get your PCR test. Um, for 72 hours, 72-hour 72 PCR test, to easy to get here. to fly here and to but before you leave. But it's
1: a quicker leave. test leaving. It's a quicker PCR. It doesn't take 72 hours here.
2: What? To get the actual results? Yeah. Or how long it's... W- no, ho- to get the actual results. No, no. It's. I mean, it's 6 to 12 hours. It's a Some crazy. Some guys are getting it even faster.
1: No, it's crazy. Like, I had to call m- for my results uh, at the, like, 50-hour mark.
2: No. I mean, you can go to a local... I mean, a local GP and you do your little test and the labs will pick it up, let's say, midday and the guys are getting their results within six hours. I mean, it's not all over, but that is that is what's happening in certain, in certain places. Remember, there's different labs as well. Right. Um, you know, you've got th- three big companies in South Africa and each one of them is a little different. Um, so, yeah, you get your test and then off you go. I mean, then you're going and... You're at the airport, and you're getting your hand sprayed, and you're getting your temperature checked. And actually, when we, you know, when we forgot something, you had to run back into the airport. I don't know if you realized there was a guy at the desk, and we just had to sanitize. But he has a little scene there where he's going to your, check your temperature. He's checking your temperature, and as you then came he also here. checks your. It looks like your heat signature, like yeah, if you have right, a cold right. or something. Right. Um, and you're going to show your COVID test when you are in. Yep, I did that. Have to do that. And you're going to climb on your airplane, so. Once you're here and you're on the ground, you're almost in a, a safety bubble where you are out on those farms. Mm-hmm. And that's something to just consider. You know, you you are definitely having more contact back home than you're ever going to get on safari. Guaranteed. Right. And all the COVID protocols are in place in camps and vehicles. I mean, we we've made sure of that.
1: Sure, sure. Well, it's certainly been an adventure already, and uh, we're only halfway through. Yeah. Big drive tomorrow.
2: What's a drive? It's nothing. In terms of
1: American standards. Exactly. We ride. Blood Origins, we drive a lot.
2: I was going to say, I mean, I see and talk to you while you're driving sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I guess that's why you enjoy your podcast so much. I guess that's why... Yeah, you, this is going to be brand my new podcaster. I'm I'm an absolute newbie and I think I should state that that I have made some comments about podcasts. This is
1: your first podcast ever, right?
2: This will probably be the first podcast that I ever listened to <laughs> from start to <laughs> from start to finish. <laughs> and oh. I've made comments about it's like watching golf and all the rest of it. But right. um doing one now. And it's just a it's yeah, it's just a great way to Chat about things. And oh no,
1: it's a be- it's a better way to get into an in depth conversation. That somebody in America is going to go. Oh man, I may want to go to South Africa now and hunt.
2: Yeah, and and you just not know unless you were sitting with someone or on a phone call with someone. You're not going to know some of the stuff. Exactly. You're not going to know, you know, why or the how or what it takes. And I mean, everything is different. But yeah, I think this is a great thing. I think I might have. Might have been missing out here for, for a while. Yeah, for sure. Or maybe I'm just used to South African accents, and yours was just too. There we go. Too, too well, hard. I
1: appreciate you coming on, man.
2: It's great. Thanks so much. For the next one. Glad you, glad you're here.
1: Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. I'm Will
0: Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStan's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hogs Cave.
1: Oh!